Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for who you are, Lord, and just everything that you do. And Lord, I just pray that uh, just through the power of your spirit, Lord, that we would uh, be filled tonight and Lord, we would we would learn exactly what you would have us to learn about you. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're Genesis chapter uh, 17. Uh, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and to be the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give this as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Uh, You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with the money from a foreigner, uh, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. Your covenant, my covenant in your flesh, is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh, will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you will no longer call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. And I will surely bless him, and I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. And he will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking to Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, 
Abraham uh, took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God circumcised them as God had said. And Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. And his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. Every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, were circumcised, circumcised with him. So you might remember this. I wanted to talk about this just a little bit, this little chart thing that we had last week. And just the visual of it, if you look at uh, the promises that God made to Abraham when he started out in 12, you notice we got a fairly small block of text. And And then in 13, it got a little bigger. And then 15, it got quite a bit bigger. And actually, I had to leave some parts out to get the main stuff in. And then in 17, it even gets bigger. And so you have this, uh, you have this uh, progression of God's, he's gradually, he's revealing more and more, getting into more detail with Abraham is throughout this, uh, you know, it's uh, basically a, a 24, 25 year period here that he's having this experience with God. And I was thinking about that and, and, uh, it, it it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you've ever, read through a certain book of the Bible, and you learn some stuff, right? And then you go on and you study other books of the Bible, and then you come back to this book of the Bible here, and you read this book of the Bible again, right? And you learn a whole new set of stuff uh, on top of what you already know. And so throughout the years, we've been teaching the Bible in these home fellowships and stuff. So I've been through Genesis, I don't know how many times now, quite a few. And, uh, and every time I go through there, there's even more stuff. There's always more stuff. And so um, uh, as, we, uh, as we continue to read and continue to have this relationship with God, he conti- continues to reveal more about him. And if you think about when we're going to talk about who God is here a little bit tonight, it's like you're never going to be at a loss for anything more to learn about God and, and how he has with uh, his relationship with us. So it's really uh, a pretty cool thing. And, you know, it's kind of weird, but by looking at those four boxes up there, you know, that it turns into like, oh, yeah, this is really, he did it with Abraham. He's doing it with me. You know, he's doing it with you. Uh, God is just so awesome. So in um, number one, if you're filling in the boxes, it says, as we engage with God, uh, there is an ongoing process of God, and then I have for the blank, you can put whatever you want in there, but I've got revealing more about himself to us. Okay, so in verse 1, chapter 17, verse 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him 
and said to him, I am God Almighty. So the first thing that really kind of jumped out at me is the word he appeared to uh, Abraham. Okay, so that's a pretty amazing feat. So he's probably, he didn't actually see God, maybe. I don't know exactly how he appeared to him. Maybe his Shekinah glory, if you ever heard of that. That's actually not in the Bible. I've heard that Shekinah glory used so many times, but it's actually a name that the the Jewish priests gave to describe like uh, the pillar uh, of, you know, the smoke and the pillar of fire. And uh, when, when, you know, when Moses was talking to God, he was having that burning bush experience and, and he wants to see God and God says, no, you can't see me. You need to hide yourself in the crevice of this rock. And so Abraham goes in and he hides and at the last minute he looks out and he just sees the back of God and he kind of lights up like a glow stick, you know, when he comes down off the mountain. So I don't know if something like that, but it definitely had an effect on uh, on Abraham. And then he reveals, he says, I am God Almighty. And so the actual words that are used there is El Shaddai. And I think I can remember in the past singing worship songs about El Shaddai. And El Shaddai is the Hebrew for uh, God Almighty. And... Uh, so I'm kind of a word nerd. And I was, you know, I like because I got the easy stuff. I click on the words and it can show you the Hebrew stuff behind it. So I'm looking at El Shaddai. And El Shaddai is kind of a, a different kind of a word uh, to translate. There's not a lot of, uh, a lot to go on because uh, one of the, uh, the, the first part of it, El, is really uh, easy. That's God. Anything with El has to do with God, like Daniel right? Is at the end of Daniel. He's like, uh, God is my judge, Ezekiel. Uh, God strengthens Israel. Uh, God prevails. So the whole L thing is, whenever you see that, it's pretty much, you know, he's talking about God. But uh, this, but he says, I'm God Almighty. Okay, so where does that come from? Well, the there's a couple of different uh, uh, words that, and they have a hard time putting it together, but one of them is mountain. And so, um, and I love the mountains. I just, I love the mountains. And so they're using this kind of a, this idea to talk about God as a mountain. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've spent much time in the mountains, but as we were growing up as a family with the kids and everything, we would, we spent a lot of time up in the Eastern Sierras and we'd go up to this, uh, one, uh, it's like an old abandoned gold mine. And this gold mine's at about 8,000 feet. And so you could go in and you could hike up to this gold mine. There's a creek and all this. And you could look up. And it early, if you're there early in the season, there was a waterfall because the snowpack would come off. And, and there was a north lake was up here probably about 9,500 feet or something higher. And so you could see the waterfall. And I can remember we'd go out there and we'd always look and hope the waterfall would be there. And we'd look up and, and there was a road that kind of snaked around the edge of the mountain. And you could look up and you could see the cars on the road. And I guess what I'm trying to say is the cars would be, even though they're probably only maybe about a thousand feet up, the cars looked like they were like this big, you know, on the side of this big giant mountain. And keep in mind, we're already at 8,000 feet looking at something that's probably at 9,000 feet. And so it kind of gives you some perspective on uh, how God is trying to convey, I'm God Almighty, right? Like a mountain. You know, and the mountains are cool because not only they're, they're huge and they're just, they're just powerful. If you stand at the base of them and look up, I mean, it's just 
this monster thing that's there. And then you think of yourself on the side of that mountain. You know, people could sit back with binoculars and not even find you on that mountain. And then there's places where there's streams. You could go and it's quiet. And, you know, you don't hear any noise, just the wind rustling through the leaves. It's just a a beautiful place. So you got this idea, this picture of God as this big, powerful, strong mountain. And then, uh, not so amazing, the other word that this uh, Shaddai could be related to is a breast. So if you, well, if you think about it, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a normal thing. But if you consider uh, to a newborn babe, the breast represents everything that that babe could ever need. Everything is the perfect mechanism to keep them alive. And so I kind of like the way they translated it, Almighty God, because if, if you think about it, I wrote it down, it says, you know, all-powerful, all-sufficient, who can do anything and meet any need. That's God Almighty. Okay, that's the God that we worship, and I think that is so cool. Um, I think, too, that, you know, the whole week and the past couple of weeks, I've been really been sort of convicted that by the fact that God is so awesome. I mean, just almost incomprehensible. But a lot of times it's real easy just to, like, you know, take God for granted. And uh, I think that's maybe not a good thing. So anyway, he says to... He says, to, he says, when Abram was 99 years old, he appeared to him and said, I'm God Almighty. Uh, walk before me faithfully and blameless. Okay, the idea behind that word blameless is like this idea of integrity. But, you know, if you ask the question, why? Okay, God's telling him, walk before me faithfully and be blameless or have integrity. Why would he do that? Well, if you stop and think about it, we all walk before God, right? We all walk before God. And in Hebrews uh, 4.13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Uh, let me read it again. Uh, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Uh, one of the first things I thought about is uh, uh, early on in our Christian walk, uh, when we first started going to church, uh, you know, we would wake up on Sunday mornings and most of the time we wake up late and we got all these kids we got to get ready to go to church and end up in arguments and fights and stuff like that. And then that's just the way it worked. I don't know if anybody else has experienced that or not. But, but you know, and then you get to church and you kind of put on your church face. You know what I mean? And like, and so you're all churchy. You're one of those good church people. Now you're at church doing church things. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that, God sees everything that led up to coming to church. And uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Um, Huh? 
Yeah. So the other thing about that came to mind in this whole idea that that uh, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight is through the years we've done a lot of Bible studies and taught the Bible and got a chance to know a lot of people. And uh, there's I've, over the years I've seen kind of a pattern that would develop is that people would be coming and coming and then, and then all of a sudden this person would just sort of drop off the face of the planet. You wouldn't see them for a while. And uh, they just wouldn't be around. They wouldn't be coming. And, and you know, I have a tendency, I'll call folks like after a while, being like, hey, something's not right, I'll call them. And most of the time they won't return phone calls. And then eventually they will, uh, they will respond. But basically what's happening is they're doing things that they know wouldn't please God, Okay. And so they think, well, if I just walk away from that whole environment, right, if I walk away from the church people, and then everything's going to be okay because not, God's not going to see me. But the truth of the matter is, when God told Abraham, he says, you know, that you need to walk before me, right, and, you know, and be blameless, uh, you can't get away from God. You just can't get away from God because... That's who God is. That's who he is. And when I was thinking about this in Hebrews, you know, there's, Hebrews is like a good commentary on the Old Testament, but in Hebrews 10, 23, and 25, and it kind of relates to this trying to walk away from God, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So I'd encourage you to, if you know somebody, you know, that's not coming to church or kind of falling out of fellowship, hey, give them a call. So number two is just uh, uh, all that is is a, uh, fill in the blanks on Hebrews 4.13. So the first blank is nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Then the next blank is everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So we're on verse 2. I talked a little bit about this last weekend. The NIV, they have then... And uh, I kind of drew a line through then. I did a little research on it because the the uh, it makes it sound like it's conditional. Abraham, if you do this stuff, then uh, I will you know make this covenant with you. But that really flies in the face of what the rest of the Bible really teaches. And so, um, like I said last week, m- most translations either say. And, or some translations have nothing there at all. It just starts out with, verse 2, it starts out with, I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will greatly increase your numbers. And Abraham fell face down. So Abraham is down on his hands and knees. You know, he's down, he's like, he's like this. With his head on the ground. You know what I mean? And if you really think about that, 
it goes back to this whole thing of like kind of taking God for granted. Maybe I'm being convicted, but uh, yeah. So Abraham, maybe it was the Shekinah glory. I'm not sure what it was. But he was in immediate submission to God. Immediate submission. You see, as we go through this, you can see he's all on for God in this uh, little exchange that happens here. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be a father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Remember, Abram is exalted father. Your name will be Abraham, a father of many. Uh, when I was reading, uh, if you guys ever heard of J. Vernon McGee, but um, I was reading in J. Vernon McGee, and he imagines this. He's t- he likes to tell stories, and he's, he was imagining that, you know, Abraham was like a pretty high-powered, you know, cattle, sheep, cattle rancher kind of guy. A lot of people, you know, knew Abraham and stuff. And he's, he's wondering, he was wondering with Abraham what it would be like. He's, you know, he's out there, you know, doing what sheep herders do. And people would come along and ask him, you know, what's your name? Well, my name's Exalted Father. Where's your kids? Uh, I don't have any kids, right? <laughs> I don't have any kids. Okay, yeah, whatever, right? So... After this little exchange here, there's another year going to pass by, right? So somebody passes by. Hey, how's it going? Uh, what's your name? I'm father of many. <laughs> oh, did your wife have twins? <laughs> no, I don't have any kids. Oh, all right. So you remember the thing? He went through like 24 years of exalted father stuff, right? They probably thought, yeah, Abraham, he's got to screw loose, right? One of those crazy religious guys. So anyway, I thought, Bernard McGee, he's got good insights. But anyway, he says, uh, oh, yeah, I'll start at verse 5 again. No longer will you be called Abram, exalted father. Your name will be Abraham, father of many. For I have made you. I talked about this a little bit last week. I have made you. It's already done. He's talking in the past tense. I have made you father of many nations. You know, from God's perspective, you know, he's kind of outside this whole time thing. So with God, maybe all this was done when he was dealing with uh, Abraham. Really think about it. Everything that we think about is tied to the fact that we're on this little ball rotating around the sun, you know, uh, every so many days. And so we're kind of locked into this whole time thing. God's like, "Mm, I don't think so. So for him, I made you. It's easy for him to say that, right? He says, uh, I will establish my covenant as a covenant everlasting between me and your descendants, me and your descendants after you for the generations to come uh, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. This is kind of interesting because... I'm a t- I, I skipped ahead a little bit in the story only because I kind of want to reveal this this about God. Uh, in Joshua, this idea of the land, he says that it was fulfilled. So in Joshua 21, verses 43 through 45, he says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors. And they took possession of it and settled there. 
The Lord gave them the rest, gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. None of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. I'm serious. So number three, it says, you're just going to fill in the verses. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give to their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. So number four, God keeps his promises. But I couldn't help to think about Genesis 15. Man, we just went through Genesis 15 a few weeks ago. 15, 18 through 21. I will read it to you again. It says, On that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I will give this land from the river of, from the river of Egypt, the great river... Oh, excuse me. Let me read that. To your descendants... I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenazites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Okay, so that is a much, much larger piece of real estate than the land of Canaan. So... Uh, in 17, he specifically promised Canaan, and they got Canaan. And if you look at God's record on prophecies, uh, he, he always comes through. And so my thought is that, that Genesis 15, 18, where this, you got the big swath of land you're talking about from the Nile all the way to the Euphrates in the modern world. We're talking from Egypt to uh, Iraq and then north up to where we're looking at Syria. So it's a large, large piece of property. The only thing that I can say is that, that it's going to be sometime in the future, and I would venture to probably in the millennial kingdom is probably when that one's going to be uh, fulfilled. So verse 9 it says, Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. So I just want to say that circumcision uh, back in uh, Abraham's day was not uncommon. It was actually a fairly common thing. But what wasn't common is infant uh, circumcision. So uh, and I'm gonna, I have something I'm going to read you just a little bit about that. It says, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with your money, They must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off. Isn't that an interesting choice of words right there? Uh, You know, considering the topic. 
he'll be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. I mean, just like I think God's got a sense of humor sometimes, you know. Could have chose any words there they wanted, but it's cut off in all translations too. So uh, anyway, this idea though, and I think probably most of you have heard this, and, and you know, I've heard it, you know, this idea about, you know, why on the eighth day? would they be circumcised? And so I want to read you this. I just, there's some research. It says Genesis 17, 12, God specifically directed Abraham to circumcise newborn males on the eighth day. Why the eighth day? In 1935, Professor H. Dam proposed the name vitamin K for a factor in foods that help prevent hemorrhaging in baby chicks. We now know that vitamin K is responsible for the production by the liver of the element known as prothrombin. Prothrombin. Yeah, I think that's how you pronounce it. If vitamin K is deficient, then there will be a prothrombin deficiency and hemorrhaging may occur. Oddly, it it is only on the fifth through the seventh days of the newborn male's life that vitamin K, uh, produced by a bacteria in the intestinal tract, is present in adequate quantities. Vitamin K, coupled with prothombin, causes blood coagulation, which is important in any surgical procedure. Holt and McIntosh, in their classic work, Holt Pediatrics, observed that newborn infants, uh, that a newborn infant has a peculiar susceptibility to bleeding between the second and fifth days of life. Hemorrhages at this time, though often inconsequential, are sometimes extensive. They may produce serious damage to internal organs, especially the brain, and cause uh, death from shock and some $20 word there. But anyway, there's a problem up until the eighth day with this stuff. Obviously, then, if vitamin K is not produced in sufficient quantities until, five, until days five through seven, it would, it would be wise to propose any postpone. Okay. It would be wise to postpone any surgery until some time after that. But why did God specify day eight? On the eighth day, the amount of prothombin present actually is elevated above 100% of normal. So basically, the stuff that you need to coagulate the blood is if it's here is 100%, basically double that. And on the eighth day, that's where that level is at. Okay? And is, and is the only day in the male's life in which this will be the case under normal conditions. If surgery is to be performed, Day eight is the perfect day to do it. Vitamin K and prothombin levels are at their peak. Right? Pretty amazing, huh? You think God knew that? Huh? He's God Almighty, right? I know. It kind of gives me goosebumps to read it that these guys. I mean, it literally, and they had a chart. It was I saw it was on a website and they had a chart and everything, and it shows it's, it goes like this level goes like this, and it kind of goes like this, and on day eight, it goes up like here, and after day eight, it goes back down again. It's like these guys are doing like, you know, science, you know, 
sciences, you do tests, then you can repeat the results, right? That's true science. So anyway, I thought that's pretty amazing. So uh, number five there at that big chart, the big chart, the very last one on the right on Abraham's part is left blank. So hopefully that you can figure out what to put in there. Uh, because there's only one thing in this whole paragraph that we just read that God required of of Abraham, right? Every male among you shall be circumcised. That's it. It's kind of a lopsided agreement. God says, I'm going to do all this stuff, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to uh, circumcise uh, all the males. I'm, I'm just thinking practically. There was probably some guys said, I don't want to work for you no more, Abraham. You know what I mean? I think there's a distinct possibility they had some people leave. You know, in Exodus uh, 4.26, Moses got in trouble over this. He got in trouble over this. As a matter of fact, I mean, so it's serious business to God. He said, this is my covenant. This is what you're going to do. So I don't know if you remember in uh, Exodus, but basically, you know, Moses married a, a Midianite, and she was Midian descended from another. In the future, Abraham's going to have another wife, and the Midianites descended from this other wife. And uh, you know they believed in one God, but you know this whole circumcision thing wasn't a big deal to them. So I think there was like a family feud about that, and Abraham said it's not worth it. You know I'm not going to argue with you about it. But then when God came around and says I'm going to kill him, his wife uh, Zipporah. He says, hold on, hold on. And they circumcised him and God left him alone. So, so uh, you know, if God says this is what we're going to do, that's what we're going to do. And he was willing to take Moses out. I mean, you know, Moses plays a pretty big part in the whole story and uh, he's ready to take him out. So, so this whole circumcision, uh, it's, you know, it's in the flesh. It's, uh, it's kind of like an outward display. And so I was, I started searching around for it, and this idea of circumcision gets brought up again in Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law, and we, we'll go through that book uh, in the future. But uh, and in De- Deuteronomy uh, ten, starting at verse twelve. Um, uh, it, it talks about. A bunch of stuff, and it gets into the whole idea of circumcision. But just to kind of give you an idea where we're going, uh, you know, this uh, circumcision that was instituted with uh, Abraham here in 17, it's kind of an outward display, but uh, what God really wants is our hearts. Right, exactly. And so starting at verse 12 in Deuteronomy 10, it says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good? It says, To the Lord your God belongs the heaven, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. So, this is the perfect, to me, this is the perfect night to talk about God in the Bible because 
We've talked about mountains, right? I love the mountains. There's nothing better than when you're in the mountains that you would uh, that you would look up in the sky, right? And so it says here that to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. So I love looking at these NASA photos. So God is higher than this, right? This is, I think, maybe the heavens, okay? And then there's just, this is all from the Hubble uh, telescope. There's just amazing things. I had to, I probably stared at about 25 or 30 different ones of these. The stuff that's out there is amazing. But you know what? God is even higher than that, if you can imagine. You know, you imagine when we look up, we see the Milky Way galaxy. When you're, you know, you're looking in the mountains on a, on a night, you see the Milky Way galaxy. And there's just billions and billions of more Milky Way galaxies out there. And you know what? It says, to the Lord your God belongs to heaven, even the highest heavens. All of that. All of that. Whoa. I can understand why Abram was like face down. You know what I'm saying? Because you're standing, you're in the presence of something that is so powerful. Unbelievably powerful. No, that's it. So, 15, it says, Yet the Lord sets his affection, set his affection on your ancestors, and he loved them. And we talked about that. You know, Abraham did a, some stupid stuff. You know what? God didn't come down on him because God loved Abraham. And so Moses is saying he loved them. And he chose you, their descendants. Remember, we're in the future now. Uh, above all nations as it is today. And here's what he says. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Okay? Circumcise your heart. So this thing in the flesh, it was a sign, it was a covenant, but what he's really looking for is our heart. And then look what happens. He says, let me explain. The Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty and awesome who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. So he's talking about the just absolute character of God now. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And uh, there is a... Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, Yolanda had her little table out here uh, for the thing for the pregnancy care clinic. And uh, I don't know, over the, the past couple of years, uh, I, you know, you see stuff about all the pro-abortion stuff and, you know, and everything that's going on. But I think that um, what Yolanda's doing, she's doing something, you know what I mean? And I think that there are people, the the people at the pregnancy care clinic, they probably need somebody to be a janitor there. I know they need more cash. I mean, there's so many things that we could do, you know, and be working, you know, with God who what? He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, you know, and so it's something that's, uh, it's just craziness. A lot of the problems that we have right now is because as a culture, we haven't followed through with God's vision for what things should be. 
You know, I mean, all the problems we have, we have a lot of problems with the, uh, the social program, social security. God's plan for that was to go forth and multiply, right? Uh, I've talked to different Bible studies about this. My grandfather, his family was his social security. And the families were a lot bigger now. Families are small. Families are small now because they're either birth controlled or aborted away, one of the two. Uh, and so any way you slice it or dice it, there has to be people there to support older people. I'm not saying that because, like, I'm an old geezer now or anything like that. I'm just saying it's just common sense. It's just common sense if you think about it. Either way, under God's plan, the family takes care of itself. You have this group of people that takes care of it or under the whatever you want to call it, the government plan or whatever. I mean, it doesn't make sense. They take money from all these people, send it off someplace in a big building, pay a bunch of people, light the lights in that building, skim a bunch of money off the tag, and then turn around and give it back. So there's something flawed in that plan as far as I can tell. I think God's idea is probably much better. But in the whole scheme of things, um, you know, the people that show up at that pregnancy care clinic, I think the Spirit of God has touched them, and they know that that is something that maybe consciously or unconsciously that God cares about. So I think we ought to care about them too. So, so anyway, do something. Uh, so the second one, he says here, he accepts no bribes, verse 18, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. You are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. So again, a um, long time ago, I was in the Philippines. I spent a lot of time all over the world, but I ended up in the Philippines one Christmas. And uh, I can say that there was a Filipino family that invited uh, some friends and me over to their house. And in the whole scheme of things, on the wealth scale, these people are literally dirt poor. And they invite us over, wouldn't accept anything, and they basically lived this verse out at Christmas time with a bunch of sailors, you know, American sailors. And uh, it was probably one of the most, uh, I'll just never forget that, that Christmas. I mean, because uh, it's, you know, it's a third world country and most of the world compared to us is like that. You know, like in a house my size, there'd be like, you know, four or five families living there. And, uh, but anyway, uh, so... That's just something I thought of. Verse 20 says, Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. So it's these things are they're coming full circle, things that God has promised back there now. Moses is talking about them. So back in Genesis 17, and God said, also said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah, which means princess. Her name shall be Sarah, the princess of many. I will bless her and will surely give give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. 
Okay, again, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear an age, uh, bear a child at the age of 90? And Abram said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. So Ishmael's like 13 years old, right? And so Abram's got a developed a you know you know a relationship with him and he's you know it's been well, since he first met with God it's been 24 years and he's thinking maybe this thing with Ishmael maybe this is where all the descendants are going to come from so he's probably starting to think that way then God said yes but your wife Sarah will bury you a son and you will call him Isaac so Isaac we know means he laughs right there's God's sense of humor coming out again uh, he says, uh, I'll establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and I'll greatly increase his numbers. He will be a father of 12 rulers and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year when he has finished when he had finished speaking with Abram, God went up from him. So it goes back to the whole thing. Remember, we've talked about this before. God's got this plan set in place. You know what? And he's going to make that plan work. And he's, it's his plan, right? So number six is Abram, Abraham was obedient. I, I, I want to read into 18 and just because... We may come back a little bit on 18, but I just want to read one thing for you here. It says, The Lord appeared to Abram uh, near the great trees of Mamre while he was uh, sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham uh, looked up and saw three men standing nearby. Uh, When he saw them, he hurried uh, from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way uh, now that you have uh, come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abram hurried to the tent, hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and, and the calf that had been prepared and set these before him. While they ate, he stood near them under the tree. Where's your wife, Sarah, they asked. There in the tent, he said. One of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed at her, to herself as she thought, Am I worn out, and my Lord is old? Will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm this old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, 
you did laugh. So if you think about the whole scene that's going down there, first of all, the, this is, uh, and we talk about the angel of the Lord, so this is God incarnate. And when we, when we go uh, to the next section of chapter 18, you're going to see that. And so basically, Sarah just lied right to the face of God. Right to the face of God, she lied to him. So now we're talking about God Almighty, you know, with the mountain. You know what I'm saying? He could have squished her like a bug. You know, he's God. He could have did whatever he wanted. But he didn't do anything. He just said, yes, you did laugh. Now, keep in mind now, she didn't laugh out loud. She was laughing in her head. That's what it said. She was like, <laughs> thinking, yeah, really? So he's God and he knows. So what does she do? She lies to God. So Psalm 130, I just want to leave you with Psalm 130 because, you know, we, we know about the grace of God. Uh, you know, the grace of God, only by the grace of God are we here, right? If we got all got what we deserve, we'd be a grease spot on the road out there, okay? So in Psalm 130, it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? All right? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord with my, with my, I, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman wait for the morning. He repeats it. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. I spent a lot of time on watch. And if you're on watch, especially if you're on 6 and 6, come on at midnight, you're waiting for 6 o'clock. It's like, oh, is this ever going to end? Because you're standing or doing absolutely nothing. Okay? He says, I wait for the Lord. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord for the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel. So, you know, it's the whole thing about God. He's mighty, he's strong. And you know what? Sarah lies to a face, and he just said, no, yes, you did laugh, you know, because that's who God is, good. God is good. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for who you are because you are awesome, almighty God. And, uh, Lord, we can see uh, you in all of this, how you deal with Abraham. And, Lord, we have the, the hope of heaven that comes from your promises to us. And, Lord, we just thank you for that. And uh, we just pray as we go out this week that we would live our lives in the light of the promises that we know that you will keep to us. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.